Hey, this is Barbara Corker, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A couple of months ago, I changed my life in a meaningful way. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about it. I was having a problem with one of my family members who I loved and cherished for so many years, and we were not getting along, and it seemed like the more I tried, the worse it became. So I turned to a therapist for help, first time in my life. And in turning to that therapist, I was hoping to resolve the problem, which I clearly did in short order. Uh, But more importantly, I found that for me, it reduced my stress in so many ways and made me a better person. So today I'm interviewing Hesu Joe with added attention because I'm so curious how a good therapist could change someone's life. And did I just have this one lone experience or is this something available to everybody? Hesu works for BetterHelp Online Therapy, affordable help for whoever really wants to tap into it. Listen in. I think it's going to change your attitude toward therapy forever. Hesu, um, I'm fascinated by the subject of therapy. Uh, very recently, I'm a latecomer at my age, went to therapy for the first time, uh, starting about a year ago, because I had a problem uh, with a family member that I didn't know how to overcome. And I am very self-confident about my ability to mend bridges and get people loving each other. But tried as I might, it seemed like the harder I tried, the worse I got. So I went to a therapist just for that purpose. I was amazed how helpful it was for me not just with the problem, which was solved very quickly. I, you know, the relationship is better than it ever was, uh, but I was surprised at how much else I got out of therapy. What do you think as a starter, people's real objective is generally when they go to therapy, do, are they like me? They come in because they have a problem to solve or they come in to improve their personality, to get happier, more general kinds of things. I think this is one of those like and or situations. You can pick um, them all if you want. Yeah. A lot of times when clients are coming to therapy with a specific problem that they would like to solve, um, oftentimes they end up uncovering or discovering things about them or mm. their really significant relationships to also start exploring, processing, bringing improvements to. And on the other side of that, a lot of folks that are coming to therapy with a bigger goal of improved insight discovering new things about self processing past trauma, Mm. they end up learning the skills and the newfound um, ability to believe in themselves to solve problems in the future. So even if it's not a specific problem right then and there, um, I think coming to therapy, you can get all of the above, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I want to make you my therapist. I'm not going to do that. This is just uh, one more thing about me. Of course. Um, I found that, uh early into therapy, three or four weeks, I was less happy, I found, with myself and questioning more of what I thought was amazing about myself, but wasn't so amazing. And then I came out of that hole in essence and wound up in a much better place. Is that to be expected? You go down before you come up? 
Yes. I think so many, yeah, so many people have reported having a similar experience in therapy and it's, it's not surprising to me, you know, you've spent so much of your life, sometimes your entire life repressing something, pushing something away because it's uncomfortable. It's painful. It doesn't make me feel good. It reminds me of all the darker shadow pieces of myself that I don't want to acknowledge, think about. And so when you're in therapy and bringing all that stuff to the surface, all this stuff that you've pushed away for decades, maybe, of course, it's going to make you feel something. Um, And that's, that's what therapy is partially doing, right? It's helping you get used to this thing of feeling your emotions Mm -hmm. existing in the way that you feel rather than trying to numb that out with different vices or distracting yourself with different activities. That's one of the hardest things in life, I think, is sitting with your feelings and not being overtaken by them, not being controlled by your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think it definitely makes sense to maybe start feeling a little bit worse before you start feeling better because you're now bringing back up all this stuff that you've maybe more or less successfully pushed away for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And does an event trigger someone coming into therapy typically, or are they just less happy than they used to be in and think, hey, uh, something's off, I'm not sure what, or is it an event, a life event that typically gets people into therapy? Um, I'd say both of those things happen. Um, you know, life is just a series of events. And a lot of times we all have a threshold or some kind of breaking point. So it could be an event or a couple of more events mm. that lead you to finally accept or realize or understand or something about it where you're um, wanting to find some resources, find some support. Maybe you've kind of acknowledged, like, I don't think I can do this alone, or I can't do this the same way that I've always been doing. Um, and you know, sometimes there is some kind of crisis and event that can push somebody over some kind of edge that will make them want to seek this out. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. In my generation, a much older generation, there's a certain shame factor associated with seeing a therapist, like, you have an illness, something's really wrong with you. Uh, there's that kind of connotation. I don't find that at all among younger people. I'm shocked at times hearing younger women, maybe 30 years old, talking about my therapist said, I'm like, they were hanging it all out there. How's that possible? <laughs> Where did that shame thing come from? And have we come that far? Are people not uh, doing doing such a negative association with therapy? And what's changed that if that's the case? My senses has changed. What an important question. So many things have changed. There's multiple layers to this. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think in some generations, grit is highly valuable because of the current world circumstances that were happening for folks that were coming up, that were becoming adults during a certain time. Mm. It was a luxury to be able to sit around and talk about your problems. Most people cannot afford to do that. Mm -hmm. Things have changed a little bit. Mm -hmm. Other things that have really changed, I think, is the idea of um, making explicit the negative impacts of something called toxic masculinity. We also hear a lot of women these days are femme presenting people talking about the patriarchy and how harmful that is. These things, I think, are all tied into everybody's acceptance or willingness, tolerance to start talking about emotions, talking about feelings, which for a lot of cultures and for a long time was seen as a very girly or weak thing. Mm -hmm. There's been this like distorted idea that being feminine means being able to talk about your feelings, um, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think there's been a shift, right? It's not that you're any less of a strong person for being able to be vulnerable and talk about your feelings at face value. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you're seeing a lot of shifts in the way that men are thinking too. And I think this improves the conversation around how we can talk about our feelings with other people or be open with mental and emotional struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, there's so much involved in that. So I think it's not just one thing that has changed everybody's perspective. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of different things that have been moving in our society and different cultures, um, shifts in how connected everybody is through global communication devices, like younger generations are all talking to each other and learning perspectives from across the ocean in an instant, right? Like we didn't always have this kind of access to um, a globalized society. Conversation, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about social media? I almost think when I'm watching, I have a 16 year old daughter when she's doing social media, she's a, I would say she's a happy kid. I hope to God I'm reading her right. Uh, but I see she's so involved in social media and I feel intuitively uh, it's no good for her overall at her age. Do you find that that causes a lot of people to want therapy or do you think that uh, is really good for people because they're more open and speaking and shooting back and forth across the ocean, whatever you said? Yes. What do you think? Big, big question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, on the view around social media and its effect on mental health. That's what I'm, I'm hearing the question around. You should have said that nice, succinctly. That's exactly what I wanted to ask. <laughs> um, well, I'm presently not on social media. So I think that's part of my answer. Wow. It, it totally can be detrimental. I think that there's a lot of pros to it, being uh-huh. able to connect with our loved ones, getting to see updates on people that are important to us. Um, Again, like perspective building from other folks from around the world, getting to travel while not leaving your couch. There's like so many cool things that have come from social media. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, it's evolved into something. It's become a place where people can really highlight the best parts of their life so that everybody else can compare their normal mundane lives to this presentation or a curated version of something that's not reality all the time. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're thinking about how many filters or um, touch-ups are being done to these photos that can also distort somebody's, I think, view of self-image. Wow. Um, expectation of what I'm supposed to look like based on everything that I've seen on while I'm scrolling through Instagram or any of those things. So lots of pros and a lot of potential cons that exist in the world of social media, right? And I think it's just, um, it's not, it, it's not too far from what happens when you stick a big group of people together. Like when you have a large congregation of folks that are intertwined in each other's lives, drama mm-hmm. happens, whether you're doing it on your computer or not. Mm-hmm. But now with social media, there's something catalyzed in terms of um, a lot of people being in one small space, figurative small space at the same time, a lot of opposing opinions, a lot of views, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're just getting exposed to a lot of stuff really fast. It's like stimulation overload at times also. Yeah. Um, God, you well describe it. It's, I, I don't think I've heard a better explanation of that really. And, but you yourself have opted out. Right now. Yes. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, um, you know, a couple of years ago when our world really changed and was flipped upside down, I found, you know, we are being told by most of our community leaders to stay inside, to stay away from other people, um, to protect public safety. Of course, things are getting a little bit better now, which is great. Um, but in the beginning, 
all we could do was, you know, we're left to our own devices, literally inside of our homes. All we could really do is consume stuff. And I found that the more and more I consumed on social media, the less and less I felt good about myself. And when I noticed that, it's like, I got to do something so that this doesn't spiral into something worse. Were you conscious at the time of thinking, I feel less good about myself because I'm comparing myself to these people who seem to have it together better than I? Was it that kind of comparison you made? You of some people, of that, I would think would just see right through that, you know? Yeah, it's it's oh. some of that. Um, the comparison thing, I think, is is something that's very powerful for folks that don't have a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do experience that from time to time, or you know, even just like the idea of like somebody's out there traveling, having an amazing vacation, while I feel guilty going to the grocery store and then seeing yes. my mom afterward. So that kind of thing wasn't making me feel good. Um, but also it's, it's not just the comparison stuff. It's also the toxic energy that comes in, in the comment section in these places and yes. just witnessing the ways that people argue with each other, get divided over every little thing, um, that kind of stuff. I found as I consume this stuff, it's not, it's not great. And we are what we eat, right? We even, oh, if it's not food, we're consuming <laughs> something. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about the therapists themselves? I find uh, the thought that someone would grow up and say, I want to be a therapist to help other people. Fascinating. I don't think I'd be that selfless at all. And yet people sit all day long and hear people's problems and make a huge difference in their lives. Do you have to have an acumen for being a therapist is a certain skill set that has to come naturally? Or is it something you could just really educate yourself about and get good at? That's a great question. To be a great Um, therapist. I'm not just saying to be a therapist, but to be a great therapist. What's that personality trait or a set of traits that are essential or maybe not? What education is essential? There's um, the observation that I have that there are plenty of therapists that maybe they may benefit from considering a different career because I think (laughs) you're getting at something here. You can send everybody to school. But not everybody that comes out of that program, I think, is going to end up becoming a very good therapist. So I think that there are some traits, although everything I'm saying is like probably not absolute for all people. But this, I, the ability to empathize with another person, that's very hard to teach. You can talk about this in concept, but if you have very little or no ability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and adopt a different perspective for a while, it's going to be quite difficult to do things like prevent yourself from imposing your own belief system, bringing in your own values and bringing in your own agenda with your client. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another thing is like, just, I think humility is really important. It's not something that we really talk about a lot on the list of things that therapists need to have. Um, But it's related empathy and humility. I think are kissing cousins. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really easy. I think as a therapist for, something to inflate your ego and stuff to go to your head, especially if you have clients telling you all the time that you saved their life or you're the best thing that ever happened to them. Or, you know, a lot of clients will praise you. You have to stay grounded. You have to keep your head on the earth because you can't let that stuff inflate you to the point that you feel like you have no more to learn, Mm -hmm. that you have no more to grow from. I think it's very important to remember that each client can teach you something you're not smarter than your clients. You're there to accompany them because they are the experts on their lives. Mm. Um, so I, I think there are some traits I'd like to think that therapists have that can't be taught. 
Um, it's like a baseline to build on. Yeah. And at the same time, there's like the necessity of going to proper training, whether that's um, continuation after your schooling, like all that stuff is still very important to stay on top of what's current in literature, what's going on in research out there. Um, but, you know, you know, people are not an exact science, right? That's what makes this all so interesting and different and challenging sometimes. Um, but because of that, I think flexibility is a big important thing here. Mm-hmm. Being rigidly adherent to anything is mm. not, I don't think the best way to support a client in adopting a new way of thinking either. Mm-hmm. I would love to have a therapist who I think of as totally custom made for me, <laughs> wrap themselves around me. It's all about me. What's good for me versus having a theory as to how to do it, the best way to do it. Yes. And I think a highly skilled therapist does that. Yes. That I you think. adapt to each client in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're not doing what so many of us actually tend to do all the time anyway, which is project, like put some baggage that I brought from another client onto you. Yes. Um, that's something a skilled therapist should not be doing. Let's take a short break now to learn a little bit more about better help and share a special discount. Now let's get back to the show. I get a lot of phone calls on my, on my 888 Barbara line, and I would say more than half are business-related questions. But I'm telling you, when I'm listening to the question, that sounds like a straight business question, I'm sitting there thinking, this is not about that. This is about some deep-seated thing, either uh, imposter syndrome comes up all the time. I hate that expression, but it's there for a reason. Um, Insecurity, uh, inability to start something, inability to finish something, long-range things that are packed behind that question. And I often sit there and think to myself, you know what? They could really use a great therapist like I have. They would really make much more headway in their business. But do you have people business people actually come to therapy with an eye toward, I'm going to learn these things that I have to do better in business and use a therapist in that regard. And does it work if they do? Simple answers are yes and yes. Yes, yes. That's um, a good one. <laughs> and, and there's even therapists now who have extra specializations, just meaning they've gotten more training in the world of executive coaching and leadership okay. development because it's become such a niche in the world of business, right? Is people are always looking for self-help, self-improvement, ways to become the best person that they can be. Hustle culture is strong and very pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, I think you're getting at something that's deeper than someone's ability to perform the tasks of a job. Yes. It's do they believe in themselves and can they become an inspirational and influential leader in where they are? Because that stuff comes from outside of, tasks and spreadsheets and Excel and all that. It's really about what's coming out from inside of somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's very clear when somebody's insides and all the guts inside are taken care of, loved, rested. Um, And on the flip side, it's also very apparent when somebody's burnt out, exhausted, apathetic, Um, all those things become very apparent too. Mm -hmm. Um, I always think that if someone is typically by their personality, enthusiastic and eager and open-minded about the universe around them. Uh, I always think that it's time for myself. I think it's time for therapy. If that person has just done something as simple as lose their enthusiasm, uh, which isn't their nature, or just really not getting excited about their friends or the, the challenges in their life. It's like, 
like flying at half mask. Do you think that's enough of a reason for someone to seek a therapist? And how effective is it to get their enthusiasm back from those therapy sessions? Absolutely. You're describing something that therapists called anhedonia, which is just the disappearance or loss of interest, loss of motivation, loss of joy that comes from things that used to spark something in you. And that's not depression. Um, that's not to be confused with outright depression, or is it the same thing? Um, it's definitely a depressive symptom, but just because you're experiencing this does not mean that you're going to meet criteria for major depressive disorder, um, depression, but it is a sign that something has changed for you. And if unchecked, if unaddressed, um, it could turn into something that looks like, or is depression. Um, so, you know, going into therapy can help you start exploring things that you haven't maybe considered like different thoughts or feelings or triggering events, or even things from your childhood, things from your past that you haven't quite processed yet. All these things can lay dormant for many years before starting to severely impact your life as well. You know, you don't need a giant banner saying that something has gone wrong in your life to consider going to therapy. In fact, it could be that your life is going very, very well. And your feeling is, I think I should be happier than I am right now because of every, every success that I've achieved, every milestone that I've hit, you know, I have my 2.5 kids, my great house that I now own my mm-hmm. white picket fence. Like I have all these things, but I just feel a little bit like maybe I should be happier. I think even that is a good enough reason to consider. What does a therapist do about that? I, I would think that would be a hard, a hard one to solve. In other words, you're checking all the box of everything being right but you're just not getting the thrill that you thought it would, would be. You're disappointed. What would a therapist actually practically do on something like that? Take the wives and kids away, sell the house. Well, I'll teach you a lesson. <laughs> How does that work? Um, well, you know, therapists all have different approaches and that's based on theories that they follow, that they've learned. Like a lot of those technical words won't come up in the session. It's just the way that your therapist is trained to conceptualize who you are as a person in the context of relationship, in the context of your community, your society. And so what I'm speaking from is like how I would approach these things. Often when somebody's unable to pinpoint an event or series of event that may have um, you know, led to them feeling this way, what I'm starting to think about is integration, integration of all parts of yourself. We've all gotten very good at compartmentalizing, putting on different hats, being a different person in this setting and in this context, saying things differently, depending on who we're talking to. Sometimes that can turn into now no longer living authentically. Mm. The way that you really feel and think, maybe it's not presenting anymore because you've developed a life where Maybe you're just like not feeling like your outside life and your inside process is matching up anymore. And so integration, integrating all pieces of yourself, all these different things that you've compartmentalized to become successful or achieve um, all your milestones. It's about finding those pieces and bringing them back. So if you have lost touch. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of that, if you don't mind, because I'm having a hard hard time grabbing that. So integration of, let's say I'm at work, I'm very powerful, I'm very happy. Everybody's responding well to me, but I get home at night and I'm thinking, don't talk to me, please. I don't even want to focus on what you're asking or doing. I just want to chill. That's a, that's a lack. That is that an example of a typical lack of integration? It kind of feels normal to me. Like what, what would you have to integrate? What two traits, for example, that would not gel well and is yeah, quite- e- 
In that example, I'm, I'm hearing someone that's very exhausted. That's and, me. That was my example. I only speak from truth. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. And, and so many people that are very busy during the day because they're working towards some kind of business goal specifically. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times you're, you're spending so much of your waking hours doing things that are not really inside of your control. It's because of the objective of like a company or your boss or some other entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've, you deplete the energy that you have doing all that all day. So it makes sense to me at the end of a day to be exhausted after work and not being able to function very much. But if it's a bigger thing, like all throughout your work performance. Now, the past few months, you've been noticing when I get home from work, I don't care about my relationships. I don't really care or feel motivated to like play with my kids or do anything with my partner anymore. Mm. Um, in, in that way, I think, you know, what your therapist is going to do initially when they meet you is assess, they're going to learn everything or as much about you as possible. They're trying to understand and see you as a person, because even that can be very healing in nature for someone to actually see you, to understand all bits and pieces of you and still not judge you, still not reject you, still not push you away. So that's an important component of what's happening. I think in building a therapeutic relationship. Yes. Um, yeah. And then, and then throughout that treatment process, which is just, you know, the meat and potatoes of therapy, I think you're going to be really trying to dissect all these components of your life, finding the pieces that make sense and resonate with you mm-hmm. and finding the pieces that may be impacting you in a negative way and figuring out either how to change your environment or give you the skills and the tools to be able to cope with a situation if you can't change the environment. Yeah. Um, so often it's, it's perspectives shifting. It's about being able to talk something out mm-hmm. and, and maybe learning to see it a different way, learning to perceive and feel it a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly on my limited experience because I felt initially there was such a great benefit to actually making the space to reassess, to even having the space in your life in a pointed time to reassess and then to go on to get to think of collectively a non-judgmental very important for me. I don't want anybody judging me. And then to look into different solutions that might work, that comfort of the casualness and the openness of a relationship like that, I don't think you really get from a friend or a family member because they know you, they already got you in a box. They're going to judge you a certain way. They're quick to give you opinion, whether you asked or not, vastly different. So I always think that's underestimated in any kind of therapy, just having the luxury of that space, like going to your hairdresser, who's going to really make your hair beautiful because you gave her an hour, you know, that kind of thing. It's such a luxury really. But how do you, how do you actually choose a great therapist? I think that's not so easy. And how do you know if you have a good therapist? How to choose. That's a journey for so many people. Um, I think those that have looked for a therapist in the past, you know, 30 years, then, you know, it can be challenging. Let's Mm -hmm. say you're trying to go through what's covered by your insurance, your employer provided insurance. Then you have to go through a giant list of people on a panel, call a bunch of folks who never answer their phone really on the first time. So you got to leave a bunch of voicemails and then then you start getting the callbacks of, oh, I don't, I'm not taking any clients right now, but my wait list is X many months. Um, and so, so the whole process is hard. And then once you find someone that's available, let's say during those first couple of sessions, how do you know that this person's not for you? Like, I think we can trust our gut and intuition. It's not the same as looking for 
Mm. You know, a pair of pants is going to fit. Sure. You have to try on a couple of pants, but then once you have your fit, you're good to go and you buy your product. This Mm. is an evolving human relationship. And if you don't feel safe with this person, if you don't mesh with this person, if you don't, you know, click with them in that deep human way, that's so hard to describe, listen to yourself. And that's easier said than done, right? In the traditional way of looking for therapy, it's such a pain to find one. And then the idea of like, I got to do that again. Yes. What I've witnessed is a lot of people either give up and they're like, okay, I don't want to do it. Or they stick with the therapist they don't feel great with because of how much trouble it was to get to them in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, But has to that, just that alone, I think gives better help such credence as to why it's needed. Because you skipped over that whole thing. When I first went into BetterHelp's website, what I, I tell you what I've responded well to, that there's a simple form, you answer a series of questions. It's kind of like a get to know you type form. And then the BetterHelp does the matching. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't waiting on a phone line. I wasn't concerned about anything. It was kind of like I delegated the task to someone who had a stable of therapists and could assign well. Let's assume BetterHelp assigned me a therapist. How do I know that that fit is okay? Is it just a matter of I feel comfortable with them? Or is it their credentials? Is it their age? And how about age? When my therapist was half my age, I was concerned. I found that that didn't make a bit of difference after the first session. But how do you know you have a good match, that you're not going to be investing all your time and your monies only to find you could have done a lot better? How do you know if it's a match? Um. Well, I think you, not you, but you in general, as the listener should always consider that you are also interviewing this person when you first meet them to figure out if it's a good match. And, you know, the therapist is doing that on their side too. People may have had the experience of a therapist saying, I don't know if this is the best match. That could be because the therapist has picked up on, you have some issues that I haven't really studied and I want to make sure you get the best care possible let's figure out how we're going to find you a new therapist. So therapists are doing the same thing Uh of figuring out whether it's a good match. So you as the client, you want to come prepared. If certain and specific credentials are important to you, then I would suggest doing the research on what they all mean to figure out what's important. There are different license types. So people specialize in different things. Um, Comfort, as you mentioned, is a big thing, but of course it's not the only thing just because you're comfortable with someone doesn't necessarily mean they're going to propel you towards your goals because a lot of times in therapy, it's actually uncomfortable. So you might have some distressing times. Mm -hmm. I think what's more important than comfort is safety. Do you feel safe by this person that they'll keep you safe? Um, And then you can ask questions about structure. What can I expect in, in working with you? Um, in your experience, I think it's even worth to ask. You might not have a, a definitive answer, but in your experience, how long does someone with these kinds of symptoms and presentation end up staying in therapy? Like, what can That's I expect in question. terms of duration? Wow. Yeah. Asking about frequency. Like how often are you able to meet with me on sessions? Somewhere mm. like BetterHelp, you want to ask about communication style. Like, do you do video sessions and do you message during the week? Do you mm. do phone sessions at this time of day? Like asking those kind of logistics questions in the very beginning is a good way to figure that stuff out first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after, I would say after like five or six sessions, and this is not definitive, I'm not, I'm not speaking from exact science, but if you're feeling after five or six sessions that you haven't gone anywhere, that you haven't gotten anything that you didn't feel like you've had any aha moments, that might be a time to bring this up with a therapist, not just leave, Ah. bring it up with a therapist. It can be scary 
to confront someone with something like that, but they want to know that too, because their, their priority is to help you meet your goals. And if you're not getting there and you're just constantly telling them like, things are fine, this is great. See you next week. That's how you both stay stagnant. That's how you let the therapist live in some kind of delusion that you're not of something there. Yeah. So you know, with a therapist, it's, it's super important to be honest. I think I saw some research recently that like 70% of, of people that have been in therapy report that they've lied to their therapist on a number of occasions <laughs> to either make their therapist like them more or make the therapist feel like they're doing better because they want the therapist's approval. Because again, it's just a human relationship. You want to impress. Mm-hmm. You're, I think you're doing yourself a disservice by not being honest with the real feedback. I'm not getting better. These sessions haven't been helping me. It's important to bring that up. Mm -hmm. Um, And then both of you, I think, can learn and grow from whatever conversation comes from there. I see. So you're really uh, saying that you can uh, graduate from therapy at some point. You could ask in advance about how long that would take. And I think you're also implying that some therapists, would they say to you, you're cured, baby. You don't need me anymore. Good luck. Goodbye. Is there ever a point like that? And I also want to ask you about cost. Don't let me forget. Go, go ahead. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of research out there that will indicate there's like a magic number of sessions to help people with certain issues. And of course that doesn't apply to all people, but if you're looking for short-term solution focused therapy, that's really targeting a specific behavior, mm-hmm. you might expect to be in therapy for like 10 to 15 weeks or so. Um, and it really depends on like what kind of work you're wanting to do. So these uh-huh. are things you can ask and yes. graduating from therapy is totally a thing. Mm. The idea is, you know, ideally, like you're not constantly in therapy for your entire life. And mm. the thing with graduation is you can always re-enroll. You can yeah. always come back to get some tune-ups and re-education on learning about yourself, learning more about your relationships. Um, you know, some folks stay in therapy for many, many years and that's normal too. Like it's dependent on what you find as most beneficial for your life. What's Mm going to be helpful to you and helping you achieve the things that you want to and, and feel fulfilled. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I mean, of course, a wrong way would mean people are not safe, Mm -hmm. um, but there's no one right way, right? There's like many paths to the top of the mountain of your life. But I guess uh, no matter what you work on in life, I guess there's always got to be an assessment of what am I getting out of it? Is this paying off? Does this make sense to me? And I guess self-graduating yourself or bringing that up is an important piece, one I've never thought of. What do people do or what do you tell to tell people who believe that therapy is expensive? I know at Better Health, it's very inexpensive. I think it's 60 to $90 a week. I, I, I don't know if you've ever visited a place called New York City, but I yes. have friends that pay $500 an hour for a therapist. I'm like, what could they possibly be getting for $500 an hour? How do you assure people that therapy does not have to be expensive? It's affordable for the great majority of people. Well, you know, we all, we all think about and frame money differently. We all have different financial situations, financial goals even. And the way that you prioritize the way that you spend is going to make the way that you see how much therapy costs differently. Somebody can look at session and say $90. That's way too much. I can never shell out that much to just talk to somebody for an hour. And on the flip side, somebody said $90, that's it. That's it. That's all you're going to ask for to heal me of my trauma. You know, depending on how people look at it, it's different. So one thing is like a frame of mind. 
a lot of folks, for whatever reason, don't want to spend money on your brain, on your feelings, on your your heart, whatever, right. You invest your monthly gym membership, um, costs to take care of your body. You put money into preventative measures for your car. You know, you're, you're paying or your insurance is paying for your dental cleaning. So you don't need a root canal later. Like all these things are preventative and you're investing in those things because you don't want further issues later. Um, But for some reason for mental health, we've decided like, "Eh, you know, I'll, I'll just drink it away or I'll just go watch a movie. I'll go to a sports game. These are all things that you also do to cope. Yeah. Yeah. And you spend money into those things. So you know, spending money on therapy is an investment in yourself. And in terms of cost and affordability, it is very accessible through platforms like BetterHelp. Um, and even if what you see seems to be unmanageable for you, we don't want cost to be the only barrier. We want to make sure that as many people as possible can get access to this care. And so we have financial assistance available. And it's not just us that's doing that. This is the world of mental health Therapists have an ethical duty to ensure that people have access to care, even if they can't afford their rates. Mm. So now you want to look for low fee clinics or sliding scale uh, options and possibilities, or like I said, at BetterHelp, you inquire within for financial aid. And that's something that we can offer too. And is that a loan or it offsets your expense? How does that work? Definitely not a loan. Um, It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's an offset. So depending on the answers that you give in the financial aid application form, um, you'll get a different, basically just discount. And it's, it's not alone. Like I said, it's just for you to be able to access this care. I wasn't aware of that. That's terrific. Yeah. So if someone wants to consider, uh, going to therapy, even for the first time in their life to accomplish a solution to a problem, or they just not, whatever reason, uh, they go on your website, fill out the form, uh, you have uh, a therapist who's recommended. If you're not happy with the therapist, I know that you can get a different therapist. It's under no obligation. You can cancel any time. I hope I'm quoting your policy correctly. Yes. It's, this seems so free. And also I must add, I do think it's inexpensive. And knowing that this financial aid as well just blows me away. But um, I think it's remarkable. And I think the time has come. I hope everybody uses better help. I really do. Thank you very much for being here. And that's all we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.